welcome to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 1 episode, Legacies, written by DC Fontana, the famous Star Trek writer and writer of some previous episodes, including The War Prayer. Um, this episode is just alright. Um, it's, it's much more serviceable than Grail is, um, but it's not as good as Eyes, the previous episode. Um, it has some really interesting concepts when dealing with the Minbari culture and Minbari politics uh, as far as the A plot. The B plot is okay. Uh, as, I, as I said, it's serviceable, uh, but it's really weighed down by a couple of poor, for, uh, poor performances and uh, just a lack of anything interesting really happening in the B plot. I, I think that's the m biggest issue with it, this this episode is that the A plot's interesting enough. If the B plot was made a little bit more interesting and probably carried by a better actress, then it would probably be a better episode than I see it as. As I said, it is completely serviceable for what it is and what it's trying to do, um, which is which is fine as we're about to hit the, uh, the Babylon 5 season 1 hot streak literally with our next episode. So we are getting into some really, really fantastic episodes. So it's fine to have just one that's mediocre. Um, I'll start with the B-plot, uh, because that one, I have very little notes on it. So this this girl, uh, Elisa Belden, ended up uh, developing uh, telepathy, and they sort, of, they sort of talk about the telepathic gene uh, that it can be triggered much like the X gene in the X-Men, that stress and puberty can uh, can trigger it if it's not already there, uh, already showing itself at an early age. Um, and that's why certain telepaths can bypass being n picked up by the Psychor early. Um, and then and sometimes they develop much, much later in life. It's variable. Um, the... The entire ordeal of her in is basically sitting in between Ivanova and Talia, where Ivanova is very anti psychor obviously. Uh, Ivanova is trying to get Elisa to uh, to uh, go somewhere else, to find some other way besides joining the Corps. So she's like, why don't you go and talk to these uh, other governments, these other species? So they go with the Narns first. Where, uh, you know, of course the Narns don't have telepaths, um, it's believed they once did, um, uh, but the, that, that gene has been long since wiped out, uh, of, of, in their gene pools, so they want to restore it, and it's nice, nice little continuity with the gathering where Jakar mentioned that, uh, where it's mentioned that Jakar, um, was uh, negotiated with the previous commercial telepath on the station leader Alexander uh, in order to get a, a, a sample of the gene to the see if that they could produce telepathic narn and then they go to the Mimbari and we find out the Mimbari view on telepaths that the the because of the way the Mimbari work of course they have this caste system which I'll be getting you know I mentioned before but I'll be getting more into in a minute when I address the a plot that uh, telepaths are seen as well-respected members of society. They have received a special calling from the gods to serve their society in a special, unique way, and therefore are revered among the Mimbari, which is a nice contrast to the way humans do things, which are very, you're, you're not human, uh, very segregated from society. And then Talia is trying to get her to join the Sigor because that's the law, and that's the way things are done, and she's trying to show her that, that not every 
everybody in the side core is corrupt and, and, and stuff like this. And it's Talia and Ivanova sort of bickering back and forth as parents getting the child to choose their favorite rather than letting the child choose uh, for themselves. That is the allegory there. And it, it's and it's very clear by the end of the episode when, uh, uh, you know, Lisa uh, uh, gets on to the uh, gets onto the transport heading the Minbar when she's chosen the Minbari uh, outside of uh, the direction of both of Vonda and Talia, and they are going to go. I think well, I think she'll be okay. It's very clear that the allegory is is that it's it's two parents bickering in front of each other in hopes that the child will choose his side, and the the point of that is that it's entirely for the parents' benefit. It is not for the child's benefit, and the child should have the freedom to choose what they want. It's not about what you want; it's about what they want. And and it also feeds into the the main theme uh, of the A plot, which is don't let the past define the future. Um, and because Ivanova is so wrapped up in everything that happened to her mother that she's resentful to any anyone that joins the Psychor, so she wants to prevent that from ever happening again. Even though, even though potentially joining the Psychor could be beneficial or could be bad for Elisa, she's still letting letting the past dictate what she thinks the future should be. And of course. Elisa decides to benefit the future by bridging the gap between humans and Mimbari by going to Mimbar uh, and to learn what the Mimbari. It's it's a decent B-plot. Um, I think it could have been made much more interesting. The actress who plays Elisa isn't all that great, to be honest. Uh, she, she delivers everything as though she's reading off a script, barely any emotion being shown, and any emotion is very exaggerated rather than feeling realistic uh it, it may just be the fact that she could be inexperienced or whatnot i don't know however i did not care for her acting in this episode um personally that is my opinion now uh getting into the a plot which is far more interesting than the b plot um is uh, that Nehrun, who is going to become a reoccurring character, that's not a spoiler, I don't think, because I mentioned it last time, and the in in contrast to the the the, the one actress, the, this actor plays Nehrun fantastic, absolutely great. He delivers every line that Nehrun has as though he is attacking you verbally, um, and and that's perfect for the way. Mimbari culture specifically operates in the way that the warrior cast views everyone else is that everything is an act of aggression everything is an act of uh, of superiority demonstrating that they are above you in some way and and we learn certain things about Mimbari culture and tradition and how important ceremony and tradition is important to them more than it, more than logical reasoning is. So the gunport situation, where it's literally the opening few seconds of they 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 are trying to honor one of their dead war leaders. So they are uh, they they have their gunports open, which can be seen as an act of aggression, an act of war. But they don't actually have their weapons activated. Uh, people would have to take the time to scan them and find that out. Otherwise, they could be shot at. It's not a reasonable thing to do, but it's their sign of respect. Um, and then the entire ordeal of of uh, the fact that Branmer 
who's this war leader that died, he was one of their most respected strategists during the Earthmen Body War, he was a member of the religious caste. He's, uh, he's not part of the warrior caste. Uh, he was born to a warrior caste father and a, a religious caste mother, and as Dolin says, the mother side take precedence. So he's technically, by all rights, a religious caste member. And we even know that he was a priest before he was a warrior. And during the Earth Membari War, he took up the cause. It was a holy war. That's the way the Membari viewed this war. It was a holy, righteous war, according to them, because of the death of Dukat. Uh, and so he took up the call to arms and uh, embraced his warrior caste side. And that's the way his clan views him and the way the warrior caste views him. And... But deep down in his heart, he believed he was religious caste, and he always believed in the way of the religious caste. Uh, to, to quote, uh, you know, to quote Sinclair from the end of the episode, you know, uh, praise him for his courage and bravery, but let others acknowledge him for the man he was, a man of peace. Um, and the in this entire tradition of the way a warrior caste, uh, or specifically a high-revered war leader of the Membari is, uh, is sent off uh, in the afterlife, they have to do this. And, and Garibaldi even calls it like the, the war drums. They're, they're almost parading his body around, saying how great he was. Look at this. Look at this. Um, and and uh, Delin points out that it's very, it's very similar to the Missing Man Formation um, in Earth culture, uh, to demonstrate that this is a fallen soldier, a fallen, a fallen brave person, a courageous man, and he was still religious, though he was a religious caste member. But the the warrior caste won't accept that and wants their traditions, while the religious caste are fighting to have their traditions respected because they view him as a religious caste. And Dylan ultimately ends up stealing his body so that she can go through their ceremony and destroying the warrior caste ceremony. And they end up lying about the truth. Nairun is the only one that ends up fighting out um, about, uh, about, about Dylan stealing the body and having him cremated um, in order to perpetuate this myth that, you know, that, that he was transformed. Um, and, and that it was a it, it was a sign from the gods that he was part of the religious caste. It is it is slowly sort of driving a wedge between the warrior and religious caste. Slowly but surely, we've been seeing this throughout the season. And it really comes to a head here, and it's going to get more and more um, prevalent as the series goes on. That the warrior caste and the religious caste are constantly at odds with their traditions and ceremonies. It's because the Great Council never told the warrior caste why they had to surrender at the Battle of the Line. Why, why at the very eve of their victory they surrendered. It's not something that they know. And they're rather pissed off about that. And once again, the theme, don't let the past decide your future. Uh, you know, uh, work towards the future with your present. So uh, Sinclair and Nerun are butting heads throughout this ep episode because uh, Sinclair was at the Battle of the Line. He experienced that horror, and Nerun was one of the commanders. And he 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 was like, "We nearly killed you." You know, it's the it's it's two old dogs having to learn new tricks. Um, 
it's the the greatest generation coming home kind of situation where they had to learn to accumulate back to ordinary life um and yes it's been 10 years since that war but that's still rather fresh for a war um and it's dealing with all the repercussions that that comes with that um the a plot was actually pretty good like really really solid um has a lot of foreshadowing for the future very interesting insight into mimbari culture fantastic stuff all around it was the b plot that really brings this episode down i'm gonna go ahead and head into spoilers real quick i don't have a whole lot um before i get out of here so the big the the big three spoilers that i have um is of course that ivanova and talia um are uh going out to get coffee now uh it's clear that their friendship and eventual romance is starting to develop um and that's really it's really noticeable that Ivanova is far much uh, is much more kinder to Talia throughout this episode than she would have been previously. Um, so, so it's clear that they have developed some sort of bond, and that will continue to develop into the next season. And then the the two other uh, spoilers is we get a mention of the chrysalis, which we see Delenn building in practically every scene that she's in when she's in her room. We see her building the chrysalis, and then uh, Elisa mentions to Sinclair that uh, that when she scanned her mind, she kept hearing this word uh, chrysalis, but uh, she forced her out of her mind when that happened, so she was trying to figure out what it meant, why, why it was important, and it's some sort of cocoon. Uh, and we're, we're left in the mystery of what does this mean, especially in regards to the fact that we are we know that that Delenn is a member of the Great Council, and we know that she's related to what is going on with Sinclair's uh, uh, Sinclair's missing twenty four hours, um, and of course. Knowing the future, she's she's going to change herself to be half human, half Mimbari to bridge the gap between those two races because Sinclair is indeed Valen, uh, which means that the the way the Mimbari few souls is that the fact that it, it's all it's actually DNA is the way we we humans would look at it that the fact that Mimbari souls are being reborn in human bodies, uh, of course it, it's all related to Sinclair traveling back in time to become Valen, and so she's there to bridge the gap, uh, to equalize it out. Uh, so she's going to turn half human, half Mimbari. Of course, that's a mystery that will be addressed in a few episodes from now, which is going to be super cool to get to when we get to the end of season one. And the final spoiler, of course, is Nehru's line, you speak like a Mimbari commander. Of course, the, there's, a, there's a hint of irony with that sentence, but also um, nice foreshadowing the fact that Sinclair will become Valen. Uh, but the, the way he talks, it, it's it, it's it's all about diplomacy and meeting in the middle. Uh, in the fact that he compromises with Nehru and is like you know, uh, as as I quoted earlier, uh, re respect him and sh and sh and show uh show him praise for the man he uh man he is, uh, but among the warrior cast, uh, celebrate him for the man he uh, man he was a man of peace or courage and bravery a warrior you you have to decide for yourself the way you view him uh and of course that is a very uh very mimbari way of looking at things it's all couched in tradition and ceremony but finding a compromise in the middle it's about following your heart 
more than it is about anything else. Um, and and uh, and that of course takes on a new hint of irony because since he is Valen, he is the Membari Jesus, so to speak. Uh, the Membari he doesn't speak like the Membari. The Membari speak like him because he was the one that sort of ingrained that cultural uh, cultural traditions into them through his perspective of knowing them in the future so it's this nice causal loop and uh very 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 cool but uh anyway that's all i have to say on this episode it's a it's a pretty good episode like i said it's very serviceable um the best bit is the a plot the b plot is uh just all right it had some interesting ideas that i think could have been developed further but it, overall decent episode uh, I'll see you next time for the two-parter of Voice in the Wilderness, parts one and two. We're going to be covering both parts in one episode. So see you then. Bye. Bye.